episode 17 of the gospel enthusiast podcast we are back after a bit of a hiatus uh yeah a little bit of laziness hiatus derek yeah (laughs) call it hiatus politically correct and it's procrastination and it sounds like we didn't just you know blow it off for a month but no uh we'd like to welcome you back in we're excited i hope you're excited and we're going to be going through Romans 7 today so as we get into that i just want to introduce myself i'm Braden friesen that's ben martins hello that's derek friesen hello and uh this is the gospel enthusiast podcast so we've uh been kind of juggling two series at the same time we've been doing the roman series and then we've also been doing the attribute series and for the next couple episodes we're going to be back into the roman series and then maybe bouncing back and forth a little bit after that but we finally did something that we should have done about you know when we first started this thing and that is schedule yeah we made a schedule so we know what's coming next we're excited that we can actually plan this properly somewhat yeah (laughs) that being said uh, if y'all are ready i'm ready so yeah this has been a interesting week of study uh, yeah, I don't know if I've been ch- so challenged on my my point of view as I was this week on a certain part of scripture. Well, it's, it certainly causes you to try and look at the scripture without biases. And so, so often we can um, look at scripture with our own theological and um, ex- experiential biases mm-hmm. and say well oh that you know i can relate to that so that must be what that's saying or oh i can't relate to that or i don't believe that so therefore it that can't be it type yeah. of thing um and this is a chapter that really causes you to look at um both sides and just try to come to the text without a bias because you know that section that we're going to break down and we're going to get to later yeah. uh near the end of the chapter seven you know there's a different view views on it but whatever view it is that it doesn't change the main purpose of the text Mm. and uh so yeah i've i myself have been i know all of us have been challenged with this Mm -hmm. Uh, how was it for you ben (laughs) oh yeah it was definitely uh oh like you're talking about biases when i read the text the first time i had such a bias i'm like i don't even know it's a controversial and uh then one of you had kind of talked about the the other point of view and I, i i thought about that i'm like oh man this is a whole new study. And then and the same uh, guy, yeah. myself, posed the third view, and all of a sudden we're all confused and just sitting around. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you wrecked our brains on Wednesday night. Like, uh, I was just like, I, I was just, I my mind was over. About. <laughs> my mind was overflowing. I couldn't, couldn't keep it all in. But and um, it wasn't with the intent of, of confusing us. No, right. But I, I listened to a few sermons and I've listened to some podcasts. Um, referencing this this passage, and so, um, and, and I did it specifically so that my view was challenged, so that the the view that I was listening to was was different than the one I held or or hold, and I'm not gonna, I don't think we're gonna say today what view we hold, um, because we want you guys to be able to think through this yourselves, but also I don't know if we fully know what view we hold. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, I think we're I think we're equally confused by the end at the end of it because both sides of the both sides of the view had come with like you said good yeah. argu- good 
arguments, good evidences, and and so it it comes with that. <laughs> I know for myself, it's like okay, if this view is right, then what does that mean for me? There was a lot of self-examination sure. this mm-hmm. week, and you know if if that view is right, then what does that mean for for me? Type of thing, and yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, it'll be good to to go through it and. Um, that'll come near the end of the episode because that's verses 21 or uh, sorry 14 to 25 but the one yeah. thing we do promise to do though is that as we lay out those those specific views um, you can have those views on the text but the most important thing is to remember what the text is actually about mm-hmm. and the context that, that is being given mm-hmm. and so we're gonna make sure that that's laid out as well yeah, because both views, whatever view you hold, when, and I, f- I find it funny we're just we're just kind of explaining this now, but we no one knows what view at this point. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, but whatever view you hold on this, the, that that passage of scripture, uh, the point, the purpose of it still remains the same. <coughs> nice. Excuse me. <laughs> the purpose of it still remains the same, and there and and. No matter what, so it, the the views are non-salvific, right? But the purpose of the text is far more important than the views. Yeah, we would definitely say that. Don't get, don't get. Uh, what sort I'm looking for? Um, hooked on, on on what view you have. Um, it's not something that you have to decide right now. It's not something that that, like you said, is salvific. So don't get. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like, don't get caught up. Yeah, caught up on it, yeah. and, and just kind of searching for what what you think is the the most biblical view. Or, um, when the point of the passage is is is, you know, a right. Don't get caught up in. Yeah, don't, don't get distracted with the yeah, yeah. with the views because, I, I found that for myself this week during study, that it was it was almost easier to to study the views than it was to study the actual passage. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. and, and the purpose of it. And it's it's easy to get distracted with that, trying to be like, yeah, oh, but this one has this and this and this. That actually makes me want and to then, thank you for that reminder that you texted us the other day. It's a reminder of what the passage is actually about. Like, yeah. we can hold to these views, but yeah, this is what the passage is about, and we can all agree on that is what you said. And so um, that that is through faith alone and Christ alone is yeah. a reminder, right? So mm-hmm. we thank you for that. But... Um, yeah, we should probably get, get the first text. 13 verses we'll, in before we... We'll start with the first 13 before there. we get to the confusing part. <laughs> Difficult to understand part. Yeah. D- yeah. I mean, it can, it can be confusing if you're looking at... If you're just focused on that. If you're, yeah, if you're looking Diving at, into every single... Yeah. Yeah. But... A review every person's held in you know, the history of mankind. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but let's begin with verse 1. Good plan. Okay, so <laughs> Paul begins the chapter with a marital metaphor. And mm-hmm. so he's basically saying that a woman, if her husband, if she's married to a man, she is bound to him until he dies. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what happens, she is bound to him by law. And, <clears throat> excuse me, as he, <coughs> sorry, as he passes away, um, she is now freed from him in, in the ways of the law. Mm-hmm. You know, she she commits adultery if she's with another man while he's still alive. But if she's with another man after he passes away, it's no longer adultery. Yeah, it is. She's no longer under that law. Right. And so, 
he turns that that we were two under the law mm-hmm. and that we died with Christ and were raised together with him now we have new life yeah and we, are we f- free from the law we are free yeah. from the from the from the bounds of the law mm-hmm. in the way of the strict commandment mm-hmm. right and that's what the previous verses have been kind of, or previous chapters have kind of been leading up to and kind of describing and um but yeah you're right like this ultimately it's uh it's death is the only thing that can set us free from the grip of the law absolutely and yeah. just like this woman in in the first verses um is faces condemnation if she starts a relationship with someone else while her husband is alive uh the same thing we're unable to or we can't or we'd still be under condemnation trying to start another thing. <laughs> it's yeah. ultimately it's death that frees us from the law is the point. Yeah. Yes. And um, I found just this connection with you know how how this this one starts in this section where it's like you know this woman faces condemnation if or faces being called an adulteress and, mm-hmm. and condemnation. Uh, Unless the husband dies first, and then we're free for we're free through Christ's death. Uh, this connection with verse one, starting in the next chapter, which we'll get to in the next episode. But yep. you know, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and it's just it's a freeing freeing thing, right? So. Yeah. I just wanted to point out too, just the language that Paul uses. I mean, he's using a metaphor uh, or a picture of marriage, and so yeah. often Paul has used. Uh, a, a picture of slavery we are slaves to sin right mm-hmm. and i think sometimes what what perhaps i'm just i'm just thinking on his behalf but perhaps what some people thought was if we're slaves to sin we didn't have a choice that we were we were automatically attached to sin without any of our own input involved mm. whereas this is a marriage where we willingly engaged with sin we were milling, willingly married to sin mm-hmm. sure. now are bound to it right absolutely and yeah. so that shows that it's it's not uh it's not that God put the, put us in the situation that we couldn't control. It's that we put the we put ourselves in the situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and just to, just to touch on that, a uh, little um, later on in the chapter, um, he he references that sin took advantage of the law, mm-hmm. and so uh, through our flesh. So it, it is us. It is us that separates ourselves from God yeah. by by our sin. Yeah. I, I, I liked something I came across uh, as I was studying this week, and it was grouping the chapters or the verses into different um, kind of almost he- groupings. Uh, I was reading the study, the Roman study guide on uh, the Undying Light website, which is one of our, Good our podcast. favorite. podcast. Go listen to that one. Yeah, one of our favorite yeah. podcasts. He does a study there. And he grouped it into four sections where from starting in verse one of chapter seven to going into chapter eight. And so basically these were the headline or the headings. Um, un- from verse one to six, the headline is, you know, it sums up as the law no longer con- condemns the believer. Uh, verse seven to 13, it breaks it down as the law convicts the unbeliever and the believer of their sin. Uh, verse 14 to 25 it talks about, or the headline he, or heading he gave it was, the law cannot deliver a believer from sin. And then into 
chapter 8, it, it went into believers who walk in the Spirit can fulfill the law through Christ. Right? It's through Christ that they fulfill the law. But I just, like, I loved the headline or the headings and the, the, the groupings, I guess, of the verses because it helped me in my study to, you know, see the purpose of the chapter and the story throughout the chapter. Um, it's just, yeah, beneficial. So just moving over to uh, verses 5 and 6 here. Um, Paul writes, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. And so <clears throat> these two verses seem fairly straightforward, but for some reason I, I kind of just seem to stumble upon them just constantly. I, I just had them going through my mind. And I just felt like I couldn't understand fully. So I'd like to talk to you guys about them. Sure. So verse 5 was, was I, I understood, but verse 6 was where it, it kind of, my understanding kind of fell apart a little bit. Mm. Um, maybe it's just the wording, I, I don't know. But so our sinful sinful passions being aroused by the law and what he's talking about here is that um, and we'll see that a little bit in verse 7 and, and onward mm-hmm. is that because the law tells us not to covet sin takes advantage of of the law and so before we knew the law we didn't understand what coveting was or what stealing was or what murder was yeah. in, in a true biblical sense mm-hmm and so then sin couldn't take advantage of it in the same way. Mm-hmm. It was still sin, but because the law now um, shines light on it, sin takes advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's bearing, sin bears fruit of death, it says, um, through the law because mm-hmm. we can't uphold the law. Yeah. Yeah, sin almost takes on this character, this rebellious character characteristic um, when sh- the light of the law is sh- shone on it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it it almost takes that up as oh, it feel it's it's um, it makes people want to do it because they want to show you know their independence or they want to show you know they enjoy you know tra- transgressing the law for for their you know to show their independence from it and um, I guess their misunderstanding of their goodness well and i stuff, mean but even if we just look at pop culture when we can see it, it's so common that the things that are forbidden those are the things that are always desirable kind of irrelevant of what they are it's just strictly because it's forbidden that's why mm-hmm. they want that's the sin nature and it's because the law says it is good we oppose it <laughs> yeah go ahead uh, okay okay <laughs> so Think think of a parent and think of a child. This is exactly where I was going to go with it. <laughs> okay, good. You th- when a parent tells their child, and um, you know, not like a a baby, you know, baby's not going to understand. But like you're, you're talking about a kid who has understanding of right and wrong already. Yeah. And you have a mother or a father tell their child, "Do not do this. You're not allowed to do this." Mm-hmm. That piques the interest of the child. Mm-hmm. Well, why is it bad? Mm-hmm. 
And so just like that, we are told by the law, do not covet. And our sinful nature says, but why not? Well, it's, al- it's almost like the, the serpent in the garden. Sure. Of, yep, oh, did absolutely. he really say? It's like, mm-hmm. is it really that bad? It really or questions is it, is the authority really? of God. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like this this part where you're, we're in cha- verse 5 and 6 there, it, it really, because it finishes up this analogy of the um, wife and husband and the marriage, right? With mm-hmm. the, Where it's like, the, you know, you are... You were alive to it where, um, yeah, my wording is jumbled now. But it's kind of like in verse 6 where it says you've been set free of that which held you held you captive. Yeah. yeah. You're now free to um, serve in, in righteousness, and, you know, be a life, be uh there's this almost parallel between the uh, slave to righteousness in the previous chapter and... Mm-hmm. You know, yep. this newness of, of the spirit, this newness of the spirit is is a condition, um, a new state of mind that desires us, or <laughs> not desires us, that causes us to desire that which is righteous, right? Yeah, yeah. the good. Yeah. And, and so when he says, I guess the part where I actually stumbled the most was just what it means to serve the newness of the spirit mm-hmm. and not an oldness of the letter. And I think my understanding of, what that means now and i hope you guys correct me if i'm wrong or um now that we are in christ and he has promised us the holy spirit and has given us his holy spirit that we serve with joy um serving him through the spirit Mm -hmm. Um, he says if you love me keep my commandments yeah and so we we serve and, and we uphold the law or try to keep the law and keep his commands out of love for him and not out of obligation and strict commandment. Yeah, and being set free from the law and now having the spirit within us, you know, the spirit um, prompts us and and gives us the desire to, you know, serve God and to do that which is righteous. Um, That whole, that first section of verses is really summed up by that heading that I was st- talking about before you know the law no longer condemns the believer because we're now dead to the law right yeah mm-hmm. and it's just uh there's just a quote from martin luther where he said we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget every day mm-hmm. and it's not that we forget what christ did every day that's mm-hmm. that's not the aspect necessarily of it you know there are days where people or myself included don't think about it as much as i should uh right but ultimately the easier thing to forget is the moment of justification where we were declared righteous and freed from the penalty of sin and that's something that that's the that's why the gospel is so important to or that's why it's so important to remind yourself and teach yourself the gospel every day is to remember that, you know, you are, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that, yes. that you don't have to try and fulfill the law. You don't have to, you know, you're not under that penalty anymore. I, th- I think that that goes with the, um, for those who lack assurance too, is this idea that I didn't do good today. Well, um, you know, not to burst your bubble, but you don't do good any day. 
Yep. You know, we, we fail every day and we, we come short every day. That being said, if it were if it were up to that, if it was up to, uh, if our belief is that I didn't do good today, well, in the days that you did good, are you trusting in yourself? And so we have to be careful not to be trusting in ourselves on either good or bad days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and just going back to what you said about uh, talking about the letter, sorry, of the law. Um, on, on those days when we're feeling bad, like, man, I, I did bad today. Uh, it's like we're going back to trying to fulfill the letter of the law. And uh, we obviously can't, right? Christ did that for us. And so if we're going to fulfill the, trying to fulfill the letter of the law and just doing everything perfectly just so that we can get into heaven, uh, it, obviously we want to grow in sanctification 100%. But if we're going to do that as a checklist and say, if I do all these things correctly, then maybe God will love me enough and I can go to heaven. It, it's a very incorrect view of, of uh, sanctification mm-hmm. and salvation. Absolutely. Yeah. And Paul actually talks about that in Galatians, does he not? Where it's like, if I was saved by, or rather, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected of the flesh, or by the flesh? All right, then if we if we continue on, we're going to we go to verse 7. That's where um, Paul starts to give a rebuttal uh, to a question that he asks himself, uh, which, would, which would presumably be a common question that people would have, uh, is that, is the law sinful then? Is the law bad because... It, it it highlights sin, uh, and, and and he says with a very, a very uh, adamant no. Um, oh, my app closed here. I want to check it. Um, uh, what, uh, is the law contrary? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, uh, I would not have come to the, to know sin except through the law. So then Paul, uh, written verses seven through uh, thirteen, he's highlighting how or he's explaining how the law is good. The law is perfect. Um, and, and how through the law we can understand sin because we didn't before, like you guys were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say in verse 12 that, uh, uh, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So Paul's concluding that uh, obviously that the, the, the law is good and that uh, even though that, or like it is like a mirror for us, we can see our sin through it. And so that mm-hmm. is why it is good. It is not the law that is bad that is causing us to sin. It is our sinful nature. It is us that is causing us to sin. Yeah, and that that's one of those questions that Paul uh, brings up. Like he always, it's like it's he knows it's coming before it comes type of thing, right? And mm-hmm. he, you know, to clarify. And I can see the point, right? Because it, you know, we're talking in the earlier, of, or it's talking in the early part of the chapter that, you know, by the death of Christ, you're set free from the law. And, and being, you know, meaning, you know, the penalty of the law and the, the condemnation through the law. But, you know, by being released from the law, it, it almost may appear as though the law is the cause of sin, you know. And that's exactly where he goes, you know, by no means, like, not absolutely not, right? Yeah. Um, the law is good, but it's sin that's at fault. And, you know, it's just, you know, it, it says there, and... and the one phrase kind of caught my eye where it says, apart from the law, sin lies dead. Mm-hmm. And it, I was, I was kind of studying that line and it was kind of, uh, it kind of talks about how, you know, outside of the law, you know, the, the recognition, the recognition of sin is inactive or like, like lies dormant. It's like, it, but once the law comes then the recognition of sin mm-hmm. makes it as though that sin is, you know, now active. Right. Yeah, uh, I would I would look at Romans 1, um, 18 through the end of the chapter. 
um, we we previously talked about this how um, they they know God e- even without knowing the law that, that um, man knows that God is real and God exists. Atheists and, don't exist, and so um, they they know Him through through looking at the world, and so th- I'm kind of reminded of that when when we're talking about you know it's not that he wa- that sin wasn't around before um, the law, it's just in our sinful nature we didn't recognize our own sin. Yeah. Well, before the law, you know, we don't recognize the sinfulness of people. We don't. I say we people in general, all mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. We don't recognize the sinfulness of our sin. But once that law reveals it and the Holy Spirit reveals that through the law, then we can see that the you can, you can see then that the desires of your flesh are contrary, that they're they're set on sin and disobedience. And despite the fact that you know what you should do and what you shouldn't do, mm-hmm. um you can see the desire of your flesh drawing you and dragging you towards that. And, the, you know, regardless of your desire to sit, not to sin. And that kind of jumps us into this 14 to 25, right? Like, it oh, kinda, here we go. Yeah, it kind of jumps us into that passage. And <laughs> Can, I, can so, I make a point before we do jump sure. into that part of the yep. passage? Okay. So, I had said before, it is our sin that separates us from God. He, yep. he is perfectly holy and righteous and there's no sin within him and so that's what separates man from god is sin and our wickedness Mm -hmm. Uh, paul's point just to drive it home here is the law is good yeah and the but through it our fallen nature and you look at genesis 3 we're you know in adam um before we were in second adam which is christ um our fallen nature is clearly evident through the law. And so the law is like this magnifying glass that uh, scans over us and it clearly points out what our sin is. And so we, you know, fallen men and women are the reason the good and holy law of God does not save because we cannot keep it because our sin keeps us from God. Well, it just kind of brings to, to mind, I was going to quickly point out in verse, verse 10 here, um, and this commandment being the law, which was to result in life. So he's pointing out that the law is good and that we, are, for us to live according to the law is good for us. It's good to live uh, according to God's uh, commandments. Mm-hmm. Proved to result in death for me because we couldn't all those commandments because right. of our sin. Absolutely. If we would be able to fill, fulfill the law fully and completely obey the law, then it would, it would lead to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the fact is we can't. We are utterly incapable and of keeping the law. And so therefore, like you just said, it it leads to death. Yeah. There's only one who is able to fulfill the law, and that exactly. is Jesus Christ. Yep. Amen. So, what do we think? Now we're going to go into the... the uh, 14 to 25. 14 to 25, a few different views. Let's lay out here. Yeah, so there are at least two views... Yeah. Uh, some would say, you know, there's even this third view. I think um, there's some that even say there's more, which is yeah, weird. that's probably true. But um, but let's just start by breaking it down. There's there there are different views on who the I in verse fourteen to twenty five refers to. Yeah. Uh, the one view um, is sort of this present tense regenerate Paul, like yeah. this believer, 
Um, this is the more widely held view. Uh, it kind of, you know, starting with Augustine and, and being reaffirmed during the Reformation. Um, this, this view is also the basis of Martin Luther's theological statement of uh, simul justus et peccator, which means uh, simultaneously justified and sinner. That yep. was flawless. I used Latin, yeah. and I probably pronounced it. I might have pronounced it wrong. I don't know, but ah, I'm, no, I'm going to go I'm into it. It's correct. Yeah, I'm going into it with confidence. Nice. It's, I like it felt that. good. Uh, <laughs> so that that's that view, and then the second view, which was held by a number of early church fathers, and and is still held by people today, is this past tense that Paul's referring to an unregenerate uh, person, like uh, his you know before he was saved type of idea. Mm-hmm. Um. And we'll we'll provide different uh, notes regarding yeah, you know, points some, regarding some points and proof text maybe. That and then this third view is sort of uh, uh, the way I understand the third view is sort of like it's a dramatic literary device where Paul is using this to drive the point home of earlier on in the pa- uh, the chapter. So like we're talking about you know. He's talking about how we're set free from the law and the law shows him his sin and his sin, the sinfulness and then the, kind of using this literary device to kind of drive that point home. Mm-hmm. So those are um, those are kind of the three views that I guess I've we've come across. And so I guess we can kind of bring up some of the points uh, and some of the quote-unquote proofs of each view and ultimately at the end uh our hope is you know that you study this and come to your own understanding we're not we're going to try and not you know kind of put our understanding into it because we want you to be able to go without any bias and you know kind of look at it yeah and maybe partly because we kind of you know, see understandings in different in all the different views. We can see, you know, you can see different points that you can understand, right? So, yeah. um, another thing I just want to, yeah, we wanted to mention was, you know, if you want to go, we're just going to touch on this more or less. Yeah. But if you want to go in more in depth on the the different views, uh, we would definitely highly suggest going to uh, the Christ is the Cure podcast. That's one of our favorites. Yeah, Nick um, Campbell would really goes into depth on on both views. Yeah, he yeah. does a great job Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, in the podcast, and I think it's episode 142 of his podcast, and he just does a very good job in all of his, like, th- in all of his episodes of coming at it from, like, this neutral point. Like, he does have an understanding that he leans to, but it's like, he comes at everything with a... <laughs> so that he's not telling you necessarily what to think, but so that right. he challenges yeah. you to... to um, to search for the truth yourself, and yeah. so, mm-hmm. and he um, understands that his view could be wrong. So sure. he comes at it. He, he comes at everything neutral. And but the one thing is, but, yeah, like it. Um, another podcast we would suggest, alongside Undying Light, um, is that one. Um, just before we touch on these points, maybe it's best right now to preface this with saying these points are not the topic or or, or the point of Romans seven. Right. And so Martin mm-hmm. Lloyd-Jones says this. The main point of Romans 7 was to dramatically illustrate what happens if... Or this this is someone um, paraphrasing what Martin Lloyd-Jones had said. So this is what someone saying what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Yeah. 
It says, he believed the main point of Romans 7 was to dramatically illustrate what happens if you seek sanctification apart from the Spirit through the law. No matter who you are, if you seek your sanctification this way, it will slay you. Paul has already proven justification through the law is impossible, and we see that through all of this uh, epistle to the Romans Mm -hmm. already. Uh, But going on here, he says, now he seeks to prove the same with sanctification. Lloyd-Jones certainly didn't think the chapter was unimportant. In his typical manner of hyperbole, the doctor called it the most famous and best-known section of the entire epistle. Few chapters expose the deep power of sin and clarify the role of the law in the believer's life, quite like Romans 7. Yet, yet no section has fueled more debate. And so there's going to be that debate, and there's going to be people who hold to these multiple viewpoints. Mm-hmm. But the point is, and we've... we've touched on and dis, um, described it already in the first 13 verses and, and our other podcasts regarding Romans, we are justified by faith alone. and by we, gra- Yeah, grace alone through faith alone. By grace yeah. alone through faith alone and Christ alone, sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we are not justified by the law, but the law gives us or, or shows us our sin. And so going into what we're you know, going to discuss now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would just like to keep that as a reminder um, for ourselves and for you listening. Yeah, absolutely. I had I had that note posted that I was going to say after we kind of pointed on the views, but just exactly that same thing. Regardless of what view you take, you know, remember that the main passage or main purpose of the passage is that um, what must that is what must be focused on. You know, salvation and freedom do not cannot by any means come by way of the law or our attempts to keep it. And this points to that only Christ can save. Because you look at, um, in, in the next chapter, and we'll touch on that in the next episode, but in verses 2 to 4 of the next uh, chapter, verse eight, or chapter 8, it says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. So ultimately, it comes down to that. Mm-hmm. The law can't save you. Our keeping of the law can't save us. But it is Christ that saves. Absolutely. Can I? I, uh, I think I stopped this quote a little bit short. I was reading it, and then just to finish what, what I was reading before, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones had come to the conclusion, whether Paul was speaking about pre-conversion or post-conversion state, or experience is not important. Therefore, Lloyd-Jones has relatively little to say about it, actually. Of the 27 sermons he preached on Romans 7, verse 1, through chapter 8, verse 4, only six dealt with the controversial passage of 14 through 25 in chapter 7. Six sermons for 11 verses is practically, practically flying for Lloyd-Jones, it says. <laughs> I actually watched one, or listened to one of those sermons this week in my study. So you I found I do, them? I do actually have one. Yeah, I do actually have one, or some points on you know on what he had said one in there. The greatest we'll, come voices up. I've ever heard. Yeah. So let's let's break down some of these. Uh, let's start with the present tense regenerate. Yeah. View. Um, so what are some of the points or quote unquote proofs that this is, or why this is the view, the right correct view, I guess. So I guess we start with. Are you asking us? Or well, I was just. I was just. We can start. I was just asking in general. Sure. So the the first one is the use of I, 
and me and myself throughout that passage. Mm-hmm. You know, the view, this view holds that because it uses I, then it must refer to Paul himself. Mm-hmm. Um, the second, I guess, would be this switch um, between verse 13 and 14. Uh, 7 to 13 is in a past tense whereas 14 to 25 is more of a present is is in a present tense so they would view this as that must indicate that this is in reference to Paul currently or a, or a regenerate believer um we go on i guess a couple other points the the i quote unquote in these verses does the following uh they serve the law of god they joyfully concur with or delight in the law of God and the inner man. They seek to obey the law and serve the law of God. Um, appears to hate and acknowledge that nothing good dwells in him. They seem to lament over their sin and they wage war against sin. Yeah, and so the point there being the unregenerate person does not do these things. Right. He does not delight in the Lord. He does not... Um, delight in keeping the law of God, but rather he delights in his sin. And so we look back at Romans 3, talk uh, verses 9 through 18, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. And where it talks about there are none that do good, there are none that seek after God, yep. and there are none that can, uh, there are none that are righteous or understanding. And so the, the point here is, or of this view, is that the unregenerate person does not have the conflict in this way. Right. The unregenerate person would would be delighting in their sin with no um, no care about changing it. Yeah. But this person here, this I that is being talked about, if it is the regenerate view, would say, I am broken by my sin. And I am broken that I offend and break the law of God and I want to keep the law but I can't keep the law mm-hmm. and so this idea would or, or this view would point to um, challenging the unregenerate person or the unregenerate view in the way of the unregenerate person has no remorse for his sin right there there's there are things in this passage from this view where this uh there are just things in the passage where it's like the the unregenerate person could not do these things or would not do these things. The unregenerate person, like you said, doesn't delight in the law. And there are other aspects, right, that the unregenerate person can't do. Yeah. Uh, another point regarding this view is, you know, Paul wouldn't, you know, kind of along the same lines, Paul would not have had this struggle before becoming a believer Is was w- one thing I heard said, right? Like, mm-hmm. um that's in the same line of what we were just saying. Uh, another point, I guess, of this view is that, you know, only the Christian pos- possesses the inner man, right? It says mm-hmm. they delight in the law or joyfully concur it, uh, that the law is good in, my, in the inner man. And that's not something that an unbeliever would have, right? That's what this, mm-hmm. this view is, is stating. Um, and then the, I guess the other one, is that either, even after talking about the deliverance in Christ, you know, Paul reiterates this divided state, mm-hmm. that, that there's still this division. And so 
I, I guess this this view also contains the idea that you know this isn't no, some people see it as this is not the normal Christian life, but just rather instances within the normal Christian life. Yeah, um, just to share a bit of a quote, I I, I like asking my friends. Uh, yeah. For their thoughts on this passage, because uh, first of all, I, I trust their um, understanding and I respect their understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we don't, you know, test it or anything like that, but um, but he had he had said the amount of times he talks about doing what he doesn't want to do which is the despising view of sin, can only come from regeneration. And so that's kind of just driving home what we've been saying, is there's, there's no way that we can um, have a hatred of sin if we do not have Christ. Exactly. Yeah, that yeah. would... Right? Well, would, be, would be the... Um, that would be from the regeneration view. Yeah. And the one thing I just quickly wanted to point out here too, and maybe it's overkill, but when we're talking about um, uh, the unregenerate having no remorse for their sin, uh, that's not a blanket statement of no remorse whatsoever. That's a remorse toward God. Yeah, a repentant remorse. Exactly. I mean, there there are plenty of sinners who have said, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. And they have remorse, but they have remorse because of either their own consequences or, Mm -hmm. or the consequences on fellow men, but mm. they have no care for for God. That's yeah, a good they're, point. Yeah. They're more afraid of the punishment than they are. Yeah, yeah. They, that's why they you know feel bad is because they're afraid of getting caught, not because they sinned against God. Sure. Yeah. And there are people that understand this view um, from the present tense regenerate view who uh, take advantage of this and who use this. I guess use this passage to excuse their sin like verse 17 know. would be the one that they say it's no longer i it's the sin in me, yeah exactly right, right? Yeah. like they'll they'll be living in in sin or they'll be doing committing sin they'll be like well paul struggled with it too like you know well it talks about we'll you know we'll struggle so you, you they try and use that to excuse justify mm-hmm. their sin yeah. yeah but paul i mean paul talks elsewhere as well not just using this text but he ta- talks elsewhere about how about the struggle of a Christian and their sin, mm-hmm. and you know where he he talks about it. There, there's a fight, right? There's yeah. It's not just living in it; you're fighting it. Well, I was gonna and, say too, just as an analogy. I mean, if someone breaks into your house and uh, takes some of your stuff, well, they're you know, and you're trying to hold the door back. Eventually, they overpower you and they get in there and they grab your stuff and they get out of there. Um, there's a struggle there. If you just open the doors, like, hey, man, it's Tuesday. You can come take my TV. Um, that there's no struggle there. There's that's that's you know you that person has given up, and we're called to struggle against sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though we will fall into temptation, um, we're called to to, to fight um, against sin, and in cases, flee from temptation. Yeah, it's those passages that that we are called to be on the alert or be on our guard. Mm-hmm. Like First uh, Peter five verse eight says, "Be sober, be vigilant." Right? Mm-hmm. Um, where Jesus talks constantly about being on your guard. Uh, in Ephesians six, we talk. It talks about the putting on the full armor of God, yeah. and being prepared, being war ready. 
Yeah. Because it is spiritual warfare that yeah. we're in. Right. Well, that that's those those are the points uh, summing up that view. Yeah. Small, and, you know, kind of small, you know, points. We yeah. we don't want to take up like this crazy amount of time. Yeah, because we could go far far more in depth, yeah. right? But, yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about these points for the past tense, the unregenerate Paul, like this that mm-hmm. this is talking about, you know, Paul before he was saved, before he was a believer type of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and so we look at the text here, and there seems to be a strong connection with the flesh. You know, um, there's the possibility that he could be elaborating on seven chapter seven. Uh, sorry. Verse 5 of chapter 7, where it talks about being in the flesh, uh, whereas verse uh, the early verses of chapter 8 look more like the man shown in 7 verse 6 that has been freed from it. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems to, you know, a disc- there's the description of being, you know, prisoner of the law of sin or sold under sin. And this seems to be in tension with chapter 6 and chapter 8. Yeah. Where, you know, both talk about how, you know, in chapter 6, how we died to sin and we are free to live in righteousness. Yeah. Uh, chapter 8, you know, it talks about how, um, especially, especially verse 2, stresses the free, how we are free from the law of sin and death through Christ. Um, so that is, that's another point that is brought up. Well, and, and, uh, and maybe I misunderstood the way you said it too, but like just the way Paul writes, but I am of the flesh and, and we're called to be of the spirit, right? Um, uh, those who, those who are of the flesh do things according to the flesh. They walk according to the flesh, yeah. but we're called to walk according to the spirit. And so then the, 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 the idea is that with Paul saying he's of the flesh, that he's non-regenerate. Yeah. He's, I- yeah. he's identifying with the flesh and rather than identifying with the spirit would be that. Yeah. argument there mm-hmm. yeah so um, it's the strong yeah the str- strong connections to the flesh yeah you're right yeah um matthew henry had said there's you know it is applicable two ways for this passage um this is just a small small quote from him he had said to the struggles that are in a convinced soul but yet unregenerate in the person of whom it is supposed by some that paul speaks and so he says, so far does the evil prevail here when he speaks of one sold under sin, doing it not performing that which is good, that seems difficult to apply it to the regenerate who are described to walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So it's mm-hmm. touching on what you said there, mm-hmm. that this identifying with our sin and identifying with our flesh. And now as a Christian, uh, we are to, to rightly look at ourselves to have a low view of ourselves and a, and a high view of God. So we have to understand what our sin is and how it offends God Almighty and how we are, are wretched sinners in need of a Savior. Um, so that's identifying with, you know, it's one thing to look at our sin and be repentant of it, but it's one thing to identify with your sin. Mm-hmm. and say, I am a sinner, I'm sold under sin, I'm sold in bondage, I'm practicing sin, I'm doing the things that I don't want to do, but I'm practicing sin. And the word, pra- it, the word practice is used in the NASB. And when I looked at the, the Greek, it, um, the word practice there um, meant uh, habitual. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's, it's a sin of constant, on, you know, ongoing sin, that keeps ravishing 
you know the flesh and the spirit yeah the esv translates it as keep on doing yeah kind of you know like the things i don't want to do i keep on doing but yeah like like you said it's but that 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 i'm just saying that's the point or a point that would be used yeah to say oh yeah it's, no, a, no, pra- no, it's yeah. a habitual thing and so yeah um just laying that out there yeah uh, another point that this view sees is, you know, that this man seems to struggle with the need to obey the Mosaic law, yet Paul has already proclaimed the release of the believer from the dictates of the law earlier in the chapter even. Yeah. Um, and so I, I had a thought there. It's like, you know, we had, we had thought about the delight, right? The word delight, I delight in the law. And I think, Brayton, you brought this up with me earlier in the week. Uh, watching a different or listening to a different sermon the other day actually made me think of it more clearly and where it says you know while the unregenerate cannot delight in the law of god like and as for god's sake he does not delight in the law giver i guess he could delight in the letter of the law is it possible he delights in the letter of the law um for his own sake for his own sake yeah or that type of thing right so um, yeah and that that's where you would have um where where it's strictly religion, yeah. You know this this false religion of, you know I, I don't cheat. I go to church. I, um, I don't steal. But it's all for me, me, me. Yeah, these people. And it's not for the glory of God. Yeah, these people mm-hmm. worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far, far from, from me. me yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and often you I mean these same people like this is what humanity is. The same people are saying, you know, I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. Okay. Well, then what do you do? Like like like. As much as you say that these are sins that you're not committing, are you going to try to say that there's no sins that you're committing? Because yeah. um, there's the self-righteous, there's a self-righteous view of self, I guess, <laughs> um, and say that yeah, I'm so good because there's a couple of things that I'm obeying the law in, but meanwhile we're breaking the other half. Um, yeah, it actually makes me think of a song, uh, "Not in Me." It's a, a hymn that we've we've sung at church a number mm-hmm. of times, mm-hmm. but there is one line there where it's like, "No list of sins I have not done." you know, mm-hmm. can earn, earn favor. Right. So yeah, even if, even if we were able to, um, fulfill, uh, nine out of the 10 commandments, yeah. which I don't for a minute believe that we can. <laughs> um, the, the Bible even says if, if, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but even if that were possible, that wouldn't be enough. Yeah. And so this, this, I, this man, uh, here, another point in this view he seems to be under the power of sin from which believers have been released in chapter six. Paul talks about the release in chapter six. Um, another one is this, this seems to show an unsuccessful struggle. Uh, Paul is clear that throughout, you know, throughout his writings Mm -hmm. that Christians will struggle with sin. Uh, but this, this passage seems more like a defeat and more of a negative view than all of Paul's other writings regarding it. Sure. So. And then last, the last uh, view. Or, sorry, no, the last point in this oh, view. okay. That's like, we're moving <laughs> on. Okay. No. Um, the last point in this view kind of, uh, or is, is as follows, I guess, th- that there is no mention of the spirit in this passage. Um, there is no mention. In chapter 8, there's like, I think, 19 references to the holy spirit in chapter eight but in chapter in this passage of chapter nine or seven i'm going forward getting ahead of us eh? yeah in this passage there's no view of there's no mention of the the spirit there's no you know this battle is being waged 
Yeah. But this this doesn't seem to be um this doesn't seem to be uh being fought in the spirit. But it's fought by his upholding of the letter. Exactly. Of the law. Yeah. Yeah. And I was as I was listening to that sermon I men- we mentioned earlier from uh Martin Lloyd Jones. Mm-hmm. He had said that he can't he see, can't seem to reconcile this passage with other other of Paul's writings or even other places in in Romans because and one thing he kept coming back to is this um this cry near the end of this passage where it's like wretched man that I am who will save me mm-hmm. right and he's like well if a, if a christian knows then a christian isn't going to cry that out you know if the christian knows who his where his help comes from and who's going to save him he's not going to say who's going to save me he is is you know Christ saved me. Mm-hmm. Christ saved me. And so, you know, but I guess it does mention, you know, only Jesus Christ or thank God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so that kind of leads us to this third point or third view. And, and the way, this like the I one said, where I started confusing you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I said, it, 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 it's, I see it. The way I see it described sometimes is as a dramatic literary device, kind of showing, you know, kind of putting it in this uh, very first person to kind of draw the dra- drive home the point. Drive home the point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and um, one of the things is like this point has does have connections with, uh, I would say, with the unregenerate. It has connections with the regenerate. Kind of has connections. It's kind of a foot in both worlds type of (laughs) type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, but it does is it kind of reconciles some of those verses where it's like, well, that can't be a regenerate man or, and that can't be an unregenerate man. And it kind of reconciles them and it kind of ties in with the earlier, um, the earlier verses. So the way I see it is that this point talks about, you know, Paul's talking in 7 to 13 about how, how, you know, the law brought conviction and it, it convicted him and, and, and showed him the sinfulness of his sin. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of driving that home. This is, this is kind of like, uh, I'll just say how Martin Lloyd Jones had said that this describes, he said, this seems to describe a man who is experiencing an intense conviction of sin who the spirit has shown a holiness of the law and the st- and stands utterly condemned is aware of his weakness and complete failure for the first time, but doesn't know any more because he is trying to keep the law and coming to the realization that he cannot, um, that he doesn't understand the truth of the gospel and salvation. And I guess ultimately it comes to the point where he sees that it is Christ, right? Yeah. He cries out, woe is me, and it is Christ that saves him. Um, again, this is the, there's the idea that there's, there's no mention of the Spirit, um, and he, he seems to be a, trying to, it seems like he's, he's convicted, and he's trying to now keep, realizing that he can't keep the law, he can't yeah. attain righteousness on his own, and so it brings about that, or he starts to realize that, um, you know, he can't, do it yeah i would say the um the theme or the the idea of that point is that 
he is convinced that he is a sinner. But he is also not convinced of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And that's why it puts like a foot in both on both yeah. worlds, right? Yeah. Like it it's and and some would say that clear in this view, clearly there's a work going on in him. Or clearly yeah, there's work has l- begun. Yeah, yeah, clearly life is there. There's some some form some form of life. And so yeah. it kinda you know, some would view it almost as a re- unregenerate person who's being enlightened, and some would view it as a regen- the very, very beginning of a, a regenerate, regenerate person, person that the life has, has come, right? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of really sandwiched between the two. Yeah, sure. But so, so those are the, th- well, I would say probably the three main points. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm sure, sure there's some other ones. Yeah, I'm sure other people view but, it. more. But here's, and, and we want to drive this part home. Whether I, you be- do you understand? Know, I just say something no, quickly before you give her because I know kind of where you're going, uh, but like this one point that all these groups agree on all these groups agree on that, cr- that Christians will struggle with sin throughout their lives, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all these groups will agree on that Christians can and should grow in sanctification throughout their lives by the spirit power of the spirit dwelling within them, mm-hmm. and that they can't do it themselves, yeah. right. And so you were going to... Am I ready to drive the point home? Drive the point home. Yep. The point is this. As much as you believe it is regenerate, unregenerate, or someone who has been enlightened and is either unregenerate and, you know, a work has been started or it is just the beginnings of a regenerate person, the point is the law does not save. Right. The point is... That the law cannot fulfill what Christ did. And the point is that our sin is evident through the law. And the Mm -hmm. law is good. Mm -hmm. The one thing I can't stand, and I'm going to be very honest with you, the one thing I can't stand is saying, when you hear um, professing Christians say, I'm no longer under the law with the attitude of, I don't have to care about the law the law right. means nothing to me sort of an antinomianism it, it would yeah. be antinomianism yeah. view and so the law does matter yeah paul states here clear as day that the law is holy and the law is good and the law is righteous mm-hmm. jesus says that um we will know that we love him if we keep his commandments so the law is good but we are not saved by the law so we have to make sure that distinction is there. But that is the point of this passage. The point of the passage is that where the law falls short, Christ completed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. And so while you know, we as Christians will struggle with sin uh, throughout our life, we, one, cannot use this passage as an excuse for sin. And two, we have a great comfort um, in the fact that we are free from condemnation and the penalty of the law because Christ took our place and bore our wrath and condemnation that we deserve. Hallelujah. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Um, so, like this passage talks about, we, you know, examine yourselves. What are you trusting in? What are you... Uh, hoping in are you trying to fulfill the law by yourself are you are you trying to attain salvation by your works or are you trusting in christ we would hope and we would plead that you run to christ 
He is calling you. Run to him before it's too late. Amen. Yeah. That said, in the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God bless, guys. Good night.